0: Have you ever felt that God was preparing you for a difficult season? In Genesis 35, God prompts Jacob to return to Bethel before recording for us three significant deaths. For the Lord is our defense. Yes, defend us. For the Lord is our defense. defend For the Lord is our defense. defend us. For the Lord is our defense. After the devastation in Shechem, the opening eight verses record how God graciously prompts Jacob to return to Bethel. Now, you'll remember back in Genesis 28 how God met with him there, and in the language of Jacob, there was an intention to return. Well, for whatever reason, he has not done that. And even though he's not far away, now is the time that he returns to that place. Now, what God tells Jacob to do for the first time includes the command to build an altar. And so in preparation for this event, Jacob communicates to the household that there are things they must do. And so he calls them to put away their idols, he calls them to wash themselves, and to change their clothing. And it seems as if this whole command is a putting away of anything that was superstitious, or contained false worship, or had been taken maybe from the Shechemites that needed to be laid aside. Sometimes when this is read, people wonder whether earrings are something that God forbids. Not sure that can definitely be said, given the fact that Abraham's servant actually gave an earring to Rebekah. So the problem seems to be more tied to the fact that these things had been taken from the Shechemites, and so they're called to bury them there and leave them behind. We also see how Jacob's fear that he had in the previous chapter, that the surrounding peoples would come and take vengeance upon them, that God deals with that and brings a terror upon the people in the area while they make their way to Bethel. And so when they finally arrive, Jacob renames the place. He calls it El Bethel, the God of the house of God. It seems that there's a shift here, whereas before, when he first met with God there, he's impressed with the place. Now he's signifying that what he's impressed with is the God who met with him at that place. Now, it's at this point we have the record of the death of Deborah. Now, we've never had this woman mentioned before in Genesis, but we know that Rebecca had a nurse go with her when she moved to be married to Isaac. We don't know exactly where she was at various times. It may have been that she actually returned at some point from Isaac's household and with Rebecca. Back to Haran, but then when Jacob finally goes there and sets up his household there for 20 years, that then when Jacob leaves, she joins with Jacob's family, and now she's been with them all this time. Well, the time has come, and she's now departed, and she's gone, no doubt, to be with the Lord. In verses 9 through 15, God comes to Jacob and reaffirms the Abrahamic covenant. He also underlines again that his name is Israel. Now the question may be asked, why reaffirm this? Why mention this again? This has already been stated. But sometimes we need to hear things a second time or we need to be told that we are what we are. So, for example, when we tell a Christian, you're a Christian, it's kind of uh, encouraging them to seize upon what they are, what God has already made you to be. And that brings a sense of the responsibility of the title and provokes us to live as we ought. Well, perhaps that's what God is doing for Jacob. Your name is Israel. In other words, live like it. Verses 16 through 21, we have the bittersweet account of the birth of Benjamin and the death of Rachel. This is Jacob's most loved wife, and now she is gone. This is a woman that had struggled to have children and had cried out, Give me children, else I die. Well, God had mercifully saw her plight, given her Joseph, at which point she had desired another son, and now it has come to pass as she has desired, but at the expense of her own life. Unlike the rest of the patriarchs and their wives, Rachel, instead of being buried at Machpelah, is buried just outside of Bethlehem. And Jacob seems to reflect an increase of faith. Despite the sorrow, he will not have his son to be called the son of my sorrow, But instead, gives him the name Benjamin, the son of the right hand. And so, in verses 22 through 29, the sorrows of Jacob are far from over. With Rachel gone, his firstborn Reuben takes Bilhah, which was Rachel's handmaiden, and lies with her. Now, we don't know the reasons for this. It may have been that there's a power struggle here between Jacob and his firstborn, a little like David and Absalom. Or or maybe he saw that instead of the attention now being directed toward Leah, that it's now towards Bilha, the handmaiden of Rachel. And Reuben's maybe enraged by this, and, and this is why he does it in a vengeful act. Whatever the case, the sin is mentioned in Genesis 49 and Jacob is certainly experiencing a measure of chastening for his polygamy. The chapter then closes with a reference to Jacob's sons, and then tells us of the death of Isaac. Now, chronologically, this is not when this happens, but it's put here so that it will not interrupt the flow of the narrative that is to follow around the life of Joseph. And so we come to application. 1. God never justifies a man without sanctifying him also. We noted the tragedy of the previous chapter, and it all could have been avoided if Jacob had just fulfilled his vow and gone to Bethel in the first place. So while Jacob has to suffer the affliction of his poor decisions, God doesn't leave him alone, and so causes him to get to where he ought to be, working in him both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Make no mistake, Christian, God has a way of prompting our conscience and reminding us of our vows. Let the lesson be learned. Obey God. If we don't, there may be some painful lessons to get us where we ought to be. Two, shocking sins are often God's instrument to produce deep repentance. The events of the previous chapter and all that fell out from that may have actually produced a real sobriety in the household of Jacob, which causes them to respond swiftly to his call to repent. It's wise for us to continually work for ongoing reform in the lives of all of those in our household to see like gradual change and try to see that prompting toward Christ's likeness. But when we do see great and heinous sins in the lives of our family, there ought to be the courage to make a general call. We need to repent. It is our gift as believers to, in the language of Paul, put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man as those who follow Christ to in another passage, adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. May the Lord help us all as families to do this very thing. Three, we must obey God not only when he removes our fears, but despite our fears. Jacob had a fear of how the surrounding cities and territories would respond to what happened to Shechem. But instead of fearing that and that in causing him to freeze, He just obeys God and lets God deal with the problem, which the Lord does. Young person, learn it early. Do not let fear control your life. If God is calling you to do something, if something is the right thing to do, just do it and leave the consequences with God and trust Him to shepherd and take care of the details. Your job is to obey. His job is is to take care of everything else. 4. God has his anonymous servants who have proven faithful over many years. Up until this chapter, Deborah has not been named. And in many respects, she reflects or represents those of us that live as believers. Our names will not go down in history. Hardly anyone will know who we are. And yet, when Deborah was gone, she no doubt was greatly missed. She had served multiple generations faithfully. And that is our call. We may not be known, we may not be famous, but to faithfully obey God, to make an impact upon those around us, this is faithful service and will receive the well done from our God. 5. Memorable seasons of worship do not take away the trials of life, they prepare us for them. Jacob has this wonderful experience of returning to Bethel with his entire household, to worship God some 30 years or so since he was there and had met with God. What an occasion it would have been for Jacob to stand there at Bethel with all of his family, to tell them of that occasion when he met with God, to account all the way in which God had led and provided and protected, and to just celebrate and rejoice in the goodness of God. And yet, No sooner are they leaving the mountaintop of that experience than they are plunged into the valley of the shadow of death. This is a reminder to us of the importance of corporate worship and family worship as really the bedrock that enables us to be prepared for whatever comes our way. As we daily worship God and meet with God's people at the house of God, those things strengthen us so that when tragedy strikes, we're able to respond in hope and in faith as Jacob did when Rachel died. And finally, in times of sorrow, the Christian's hope is at God's right hand. I'm so encouraged by this as you read how Jacob, who had not named any of his sons, now names Benjamin and indicates that hope and trust that he had in the coming Messiah, the one who would be truly at God's right hand. Years later, the psalmist also in Psalm 80 would have the same hope looking at the man at God's right hand, whom God had made strong for himself. This is the hope of the believer. Lift up our eyes, therefore, Christian. Let us look on to Jesus Christ, constantly recognizing that he is our hope and he is the one who keeps us going on from day to day through the ups and through the downs.